welcome in to a new edition of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. I am your host, TJ McBride of MileHighSports.com. Um, welcome back. It's been a little while. I've had all kinds of chaos going on this summer, but podcast is back. We're doing what we're doing. And there is a lot of upheaval happening in the NBA right now. And because of that, we have to analyze how it is going to impact the Denver Nuggets. So that's what I'm going to do with this podcast today. It is going to be about the Warriors losing the finals, if their dynasty is over, how Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson being hurt impacts the Nuggets. We're going to talk about the Lakers. Anthony Davis being traded to LA, obviously. The fact that Rob Palinka is still trying to open up an additional max slot to go get somebody else. And we'll talk about how close the Nuggets and the Lakers are and who I think is better as well. Uh, moving forward from that, um, <laughs> Mike Connolly going to the Utah Jazz. The Jazz just got better because of this. We're talking about how that impacts the Nuggets. We'll talk about the Clippers and where we'll end up seeing how they end up kind of, uh, I guess, pursuing this free agency period and who they end up with and what could happen. There's a lot of outcomes with the Clippers, so it's going to be hard to kind of judge where they're at. We'll talk about the Rockets briefly because they've been mentioned a lot in the um, just the news cycle as well. And then we'll get into the rest of the Western Conference. We'll talk about um, what's going on with OKC, um, if Denver is better than Utah, if Denver is better than the Lakers. We'll talk about if Denver should get into this arms race that is currently happening in the Western Conference. We'll talk about the cap a little bit and how the Nuggets would be able to open up some some cap space to be able to involve themselves in this arms race. I'll talk about four potential free agent targets that I really, really like for the Nuggets. I also will give my far too early um, my top eight Western Conference rankings as well and where I think the Nuggets fit into that. I'll briefly recap Isaiah Thomas's season, give a Michael Porter Jr. update from stuff that I have heard, and we will finish with some Twitter questions. It took me two minutes just to outline what this podcast is going to be about. So prepare yourself for a very, very long podcast. I'm excited about this one, though. There is so many things happening within the NBA that are going to make this a very interesting offseason for the Denver Nuggets. And on top of that, I'm recording this podcast on Wednesday night, so I'll have to record another podcast later tonight about the NBA draft because there is going to be too much information in this podcast to also combine the draft with it as well. So get ready for a ton of conversation in this one. And just before we get into that, I got to pay some bills. So first and foremost, shout out to Terrapin Care Station. They are the presenting sponsor of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. They are the best place for all of your marijuana needs in the Denver metro area. Whether you need recreational or medical marijuana, they have multiple locations, parking to all of them. It's discreet. It's easy. It's quick. They have tons of brands and products. Um, so I'll give you a quick word from Terrapin Care Station. But before that, let me also give a shout out to the Regulators Production Group. They are the people who built the B on the intro and outro of this podcast. You can find them on Instagram at Regulators Regime. Also go check out Rod Simba on Instagram, one of the members of the Regulators Production Group. That is R-O-D-S-Y-M-B-A on Instagram. They're great at what they do, so for any audio needs, give a shout to those guys. So, But before we dive into all that chaos I have already prefaced, here is a quick word from Terrapin Care Station. 
Before we get into the rest of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast, let me give you one quick word from our sponsors over at Terrapin Care Station. Since 2010, Terrapin Care Station has been providing patients and customers with high-quality cannabis products at everyday low prices. Serving the communities of Denver, Boulder, and Aurora, they offer their own flower and concentrates, as well as all the brands you love at prices that you just won't believe. They pride themselves in having the most knowledgeable and professional staff in the industry, and their team will work with you one-on-one to help you find the product that are perfect for you. Their dispensaries are unassuming, safe, and discreet with ample parking at every location for a seamless retail experience. For up-to-date menus and promotions, head over to www.terrapincarestation.com or just come visit one of their five convenient Colorado locations today. Again, that is terrapincarestation.com, T-E-R-R-A-P-I-N, carestation.com. dive into all of this because there is so much going on. So what I'm going to try and do is take this almost team by team and talk about the impact that it's going to have on the Nuggets after kind of outlining what chaos or upheaval or whatever impact is actually happening for whatever team that we are talking about. So let's just start with the Golden State Warriors losing the NBA Finals. The question that everybody kept asking is, is this dynasty over? And it's a valid question because the Warriors payroll, if they bring back Kevin Durant, Klay Thompson, and everybody and they just run it back, it's going to be over $300 million and this is also a team that is privately funding the Chase Center, which is the new arena in in San Francisco for the Warriors. So that's a lot of money. So there was a question posed on Twitter, and for the life of me, I cannot remember who put it out there. I think it was Nate Jones, but it was a fantastic thought process. And basically what it was is, do the Warriors not necessarily punt on this year, but do they try and move off Draymond Green and Andre Iguodala? Sean Livingston kind of ends up retiring, or they don't pick him up, and they kind of start trying to use this coming 2019-20 season as the year to kind of recoup some financial instability that they have created throughout this dynastic run that they have had. And if they are able to do that, they can get out of the repeater tax. They can also find themselves in a position to where they can get a potentially better pick. And then also they can allow Klay Thompson and Kevin Durant to come back slowly and they can hit the ground running again the year after. Steph Curry and Draymond Green can absolutely get the Warriors to the playoffs. That is without a doubt. Andre Iguodala can still help. There's a lot of things going on in that regard to where the Warriors can still be somewhat of the Warriors, but how much do you want to bank on that? When I look at this scenario... I think back to what the Spurs did when they had David Robinson and he got hurt and they kind of were just like, well, it looks like we're not going to be able to be that good this season. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to kind of get ourselves back to where we want to be, take a season and then get a decent draft pick, which ended up being obviously Tim Duncan, and they went right back to dominating once again. It won't be a parallel, it won't be an exact replica of what the Spurs were able to do, but you can take a lot of those points that the Spurs were able to implement into their game plan as an organization to be able to get themselves in the back, uh, back in the right situation that they want to be in. So imagine if the Warriors were like, Draymond Green, 
Go do whatever you need to get your max contract. I just don't think it's going to work here. And then, the, you know, Sean Livingston retires. Andre Iguodala, they move out from under, which, again, this would all be ruthless and cutthroat because these are people who have made this Warriors dynasty what it is. But what it also does in turn is opens up the money once you get into 2021. It allows Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson plenty of time without pressure to be able to rehab and get back to who they are. You can re-sign them, and then you can come back, What you know, after the 2019-20 season with a healthy Klay Thompson, a healthy Kevin Durant, a healthy Steph Curry, and money to build a roster around them once again. So that is a very, very interesting situation. But what we really know is that we don't know anything. The uncertainty surrounding the Warriors organization is currently unquantifiable. We don't know what is going to happen. Is Kevin Durant going to want out, or is he going to have one bottle of wine with Draymond Green and decide it's the best place for him to stay because he just watched how good of a job the Warriors did rehabbing DeMarcus Cousins from an Achilles rupture of the exact same injury that he has. So... Who knows what could happen? Maybe they don't offer Clay Thompson the match, which I would be absolutely stunned about. And all of a sudden, another team is like, you know what? We don't care that you're going through this ACL rehabilitation and surgery. Come with us. We're going to give you a full max. So who knows what could happen with this Warriors team? They could just run it all back, and then it could get you know disastrously bad money-wise, and it could be the end of the dynasty. We just don't know right now. What we do know is that the uncertainty surrounding the Warriors has opened up all of this chaos and potential for any of these Western Conference teams that were just one step away from contending. For the past, what, six, seven years, it has been, yeah, the Western Conference is great, but it doesn't matter. The Warriors are the Warriors. That is no longer the case. Klay Thompson will will probably be out until the year turns to 2020, sometime around January 1st or around there, coming back from his ACL injury. Kevin Durant, in all likelihood, will not play play at all next year. Now the window is open and it has led to that arms race suddenly just, you know, emerging in a way that we did not expect. So all of a sudden now you see the Clippers, you know, trying to get Kawhi Leonard, trying to get an Al Horford, whoever it may be, trying to draw two stars to them. The Lakers have now traded for Anthony Davis and Rob Palinka is going crazy trying to find a way to open a second max slot. In addition to that, you see the Utah Jazz getting Mike Connolly to be able to put them over the edge so maybe they can compete. The Rockets have made everybody but James Harden available for trade, it sounds like, to be able to go get Jimmy Butler to add to their team. Who knows what happens in Oklahoma City because right now now they're talking about potentially moving Steven Adams. So I'll get into all of that. But the whole point that I'm making is that it has led, this upheaval has led to a chaotic stretch in the NBA. And the question starts to become, will the Nuggets get involved? So before we get into that, though, think of this. How happy would you be if you're Adam Silver knowing that any of the top five seeds in the Western Conference could potentially all contend for an NBA title next year? That's extremely exciting for the league. But there is a causality of the fact that the Warriors are not going to be the Warriors next year now. What this has done is that the rest of the Western Conference teams, you start talking about Oklahoma City, Houston, Denver, Utah, Portland, uh, the Clippers, the Lakers, so many of these teams that that, that feel that they're very close to competing, this arms race has led to the uneven conferences getting even more extreme. 
happen. So we're potentially talking about having Jimmy Butler from the East go to the West, Kawhi Leonard from the East go to the West, Al Horford from the East go to the West. There's so many players like that who could potentially be moving themselves to the Western Conference because there's so many Western Conference teams looking to acquire talent to be able to take advantage of this window that has now been opened out of nowhere when no one necessarily expected it to open in this fashion. So I'm curious if in the short term, it's bad for the league just because the unevenness of the of the conferences could get even more extreme. But also, it's very, very good when in the Western Conference, you have five or six teams who could legitimately be competing for an NBA title next year. The Lakers, the Jazz, the Nuggets, the Warriors, the Rockets, uh, Portland if they make a big move, the Clippers if they get two big-time guys. All of these teams are now right there, and that's just in the Western Conference. You still have Philly and Milwaukee and Toronto if Kawhi stays, or even if he doesn't. There's so many teams. I mean, honestly, don't throw Indiana out yet. Victor Oladipo has been fantastic, and if it wasn't for that injury last year, they would have been even better than they were. So there are a lot of teams who are willing to dive into this arms race suddenly, and that's not what, I mean, it's made the league more interesting than anybody necessarily expected. And because of that, I'm curious how this kind of ends up, because there's a lot going on. But again, With all that being said, no matter how much of chaos is going on, this does open a window for the Denver Nuggets to seriously compete for a title, to be an actual contender much sooner than anybody expected. Last year, it felt like they kind of accelerated the timeline just because they won so many games. Now, (laughs) the timeline has really been accelerated. They have expectations on them after being the second seed in the West last year. They were one win away from the Western Conference Finals, and even though they're still extremely Extremely young. The expectations with the Warriors now being dethroned and taking a step back is that the Nuggets could and arguably should take a step into that legitimate contender window and be a team that actually fights for an NBA title. So that's good and also it's bad because those expectations have not been there before. So the Warriors losing has changed everything in the NBA. Kevin Durant rupturing his Achilles has altered the trajectory of the league for the next potentially decade. That's how gigantic just that singular injury was. So it's going to be so interesting what happens, and this is a very good segue into the Los Angeles Lakers, who obviously are going all in right now trying to compete with LeBron James in his last few prime years right now. So what they were able to do was trade for Anthony Davis. It took them sending out basically half of their roster and all of their first-round picks for the next seven years or whatever it was, but the Lakers have now gotten Anthony Davis. It took them sending out Lonzo Ball. It took them sending out Brandon Ingram. Um, and then it was just one of those deals to where now you're looking at this roster and you're like, hmm, that's going to be tough to build a team. On top of that, the way that the deal was executed means that the Lakers will not have the ability to, as the deal is currently constructed, to build a second max slot to bring another star with Anthony Davis and LeBron James to Los Angeles. So... This is going to be interesting. Uh, Let me take a step back, though, before we get into the additional max slot. Anthony Davis and um, LeBron James, that makes the Lakers an instant 
title contender. I know people are already yelling about, wow, the Lakers don't even have a point guard. Wow, they don't have any depth. Wow, what are they going to do? Are they going to start Isaac Bond? Like, who knows what they're going to do? Alex Caruso could start at point guard. Either Scott Machado could. I really don't care because the gravity that LeBron James and Anthony Davis are going to bring to the floor is going to be so completely unstoppable. That uh, You can't leave LeBron. You can't sag off of him because he's gotten better as a three-point shooter and a more willing three-point shooter. And if you even help off Anthony Davis for a second, LeBron James has the IQ and the vision, the playmaking, obviously, to find him very quickly. They are going to stretch the floor so big that, as a good friend of mine, Brendan Vote of Denver Stiff said, you could play the ball boy with Anthony Davis and LeBron James and they're still going to win games. So it's going to be so interesting what happens with this Lakers team. How dominant are they going to be? Are they going to be able to hit the ground running? Is them not having a point guard going to be an issue? Right now, their point guards or guards on the roster who could run an offense is Isaac Bonga, who said his entire season last year in the G League, basically, Alex Caruso, who was a two-way player, or Scott Machado, who just simply stated isn't ready for this situation. So that is a little bit worrisome. Um, It's also going to be interesting to see how the Lakers continue this process of this trade, because you are not allowed to make a trade until 6 p.m. on June 30th, which is when they open up the moratorium for everything to start again. It is essentially the first day of the NBA calendar year. So right now, this deal is only agreed to in principle. This is not in writing, sent to the league, done and done. So what that means is that the deal can be restructured and reworked in a way that maybe the Lakers can create that additional max slot. The biggest issue right now is the timing of the deal. Is it going to be finished on July 6th, July 30th? All of that is going to be so important. But if the Lakers can find a way to make this a three-team deal, and this has been mentioned already, they would have to... um, like apparently they're talking about including you know, Mo Wagner, Isaac Bonga, and anybody else they can to find a way to create just a little bit more money to create that third max slot essentially with LeBron James. So who like so when you start talking about who they could potentially get, you start talking about Al Horford, Kemba Walker, who's the one that I've been looking at. Kemba Walker makes the most sense because of the point guard need that they have right now in the Laker land. Because I mean. What's so great about Kemba there is that he can play on or off ball. He's such a lethal catch-and-shoot jump shooter, a great pick-and-roll point guard, and a floor general, but can also light it up when you need him to. So Kemba Walker is the guy I'm looking at, and the other one is Chris Middleton because you can just run LeBron at point and let Chris Middleton play the four and just go and you know have Anthony Davis play the five if you need to. It's going to be interesting to see what happens, but with all this being said, the Lakers are now back above Denver to me as things are currently constructed. Maybe the Nuggets would win more games in the regular season because it would take time for the Lakers to be able to figure this out and get on the same page. But for me, if you just match them up in a playoff series, I don't see any situation in which the Nuggets could defend Anthony Davis or LeBron James. They're not going to be able to defend either of them. So that's scary. The Lakers are now a very, very, very real threat, and that's even without getting that third star. So it's going to be interesting to see how this happens, but that is going to hurt the Nuggets' chances. So the Lakers getting better, while yes, it's interesting, and yes, the Warriors have opened the window, but the Nuggets have taken a step back behind the Lakers in my mind, which then, again, this is a very easy segue into Utah, who just traded for Mike Conley. And they only got Conley for Grayson Allen, 
Kyle Korver, and a future pick. Um, and then also this year's, I think it's the 24th pick in the draft. So surprising they got Conley for so little, but a big reason why is because his contract is so big. What sucks about this for Denver is that of course, Utah is in the Northwest Division, and Mike Connolly fills so many holes for the Utah Jazz. The Jazz needed another playmaking guard who can take some pressure off of um, Donovan Mitchell when they need it. Mike Connolly is that guy. They need a guard who can play off-ball and still hit threes and space the floor. Mike Connolly is that guy. They need a guard like Ricky Rubio who can play very strong de- defense. Mike Connolly is that guy. So, in terms of what he brings to the court for them in a guard play situation, Connolly is going to elevate Utah in ways that, you know, it's going to be crazy how much better Utah is, in my opinion. Uh, Matt Moore of the Action Network made a very good point on Twitter that, you know, Mike Connolly's never played with a big like Rudy Gobert. He's had Mark Gasol for most of his career. Um, so he hasn't necessarily had these above-the-rim, rim-rolling type of big. So that's going to be very different for him. So I do think it might take a little bit of time for this to actually click in the way that I'm envisioning. But at the same time, once it does click, Utah is going to be so good. Um, Again, like I said about the Lakers, I think Utah is going to jump Denver as well if this starts to work out. Mike Connolly and Donovan Mitchell can absolutely defend Jamal Murray and Gary Harris. Rudy Gobert has given Nikola Jokic issues before, so that's going to be a very difficult matchup for him. And now the Jazz are not going to be offensively starved. You can't just play a drop defense against them and be like, all right, try and make threes. Jay Crowder, take all of the ones you want in the world. The fact now that you're going to be having Mike Conley hitting those threes just completely changes the way that you attack them. So I am very nervous about Utah now as well. So... As we continue moving down the line of teams that are potentially in upheaval or are changing the conversation around the league, the next team is the Los Angeles Clippers, who have two max slots open to where they are trying to get Kawhi Leonard and then potentially Al Horford. Again, no one knows where Kawhi Leonard is going. No one knows where Al Horford is going. All I know is that Al Horford is not going back to Boston. When it comes to Kawhi, only a fool would say they have any idea of what's going on in his head. Unless you're right there with him or a teammate of his or a close personal friend, you don't know because Kawhi Leonard does not talk. So it kind of just has to wait and see. But what I will say is that there is a reason the Clippers are always mentioned in these situations. It's because they have built something that players want to go play with. They have a very strong foundation. They have a very strong front office. Doc Rivers is a coach of the year candidate. There are so many reasons why Los Angeles makes sense. And then not only that, they're in Los Angeles. So free agents are going to want to go there. And it's going to be so interesting because if they get Kawhi and Al Horford, which seems like the idea or a similarly statured two max slot guys, it's going to be very difficult for Denver to be able to hang with them because they have other players that are already there and ready to go that fit so well. Imagine how good Shea Gilgis Alexander would be, who was already great in his rookie year with Kawhi Leonard playing around him and Al Horford setting screens and adding all that basketball IQ. Jay Gildas-Alexander may end up being the most improved player in the league lit next year, despite the fact that he's a second-year player, because he would get so much help from having those kinds of players around him. So, 
if they take a step forward, if they can sign those big free agents and get a Kawhi and a Horford like they have been talking about for so long, then I do think they are another team that would potentially jump Denver if they're able to get them. So there's this, this league is going to be absolutely insane, especially the Western Conference, and it doesn't stop there. Jimmy Butler has reportedly been a target of the Houston Rockets, who have been in the news as much as any team, not the Los Angeles Lakers. So there was a report put out that Chris Paul and James Harden are not getting along. It's an unsolvable situation that all of a sudden he that Chris Paul was yelling at Mike D'Antoni and all these crazy things. And that report was vehemently refuted by this by everybody who could who could potentially refute it. So who knows? what is going on in Houston, but what we have heard is that Daryl Morey has basically put everybody on the trade market that is not named James Harden, and even if James Harden was someone called for him, they would listen. That's kind of the idea that has been put out to the media. So, with that being said, the Rockets are now a complete wild card. Are they going to trade Clint Capella and Chris Paul and find a way to get Jimmy Butler? Who the hell knows? Are they going to find a way to be able to just assign a free agent of any kind? Who the hell knows? Who hates who? Who the hell knows? Who are they going to trade in general? Who the hell knows? Nobody knows. The Rockets are the gigantic wild card of what is currently going on in the Western Conference. They have a situation in which they could jump to the number one spot in the West and be an actual contender, or I could see a situation in which they start imploding from within. I don't know. It is so difficult for me to say where the Rockets stand, but if they get a Jimmy Butler and things do work out for the best, they're another team that could be right there with Denver. Um, The one thing I do know out of all those things that I have no idea about is that Daryl Morey has like 12 aces up his sleeve at any point, ready, locked, and loaded to unleash into this NBA world. And if he's able to do that, he will find a way to improve this Rockets roster. He's one of those guys that you just don't count out. The other GM that or president that you just don't count out is Sam Presti. So let's continue with the Western Conference teams that have a chance to potentially com- to contend if they want to. No one knows what's going on in Oklahoma City. There's a report that came out today on Wednesday that Dennis Schroeder, Stephen Adams, and Andre Roberson are on the market in order to shed salary. I have a very tough time believing that the Oklahoma City Thunder, after signing Paul George last year and having Russell Westbrook in seemingly his prime, would suddenly feel like they're not going to try and compete the second that the Golden State Warriors are no longer functioning at the same level that they once were. So, despite the fact that they're looking to move on from Schroeder, Adams, and Roberson, I can't help believe that Sam Presti has something up his sleeve as well to where he's going to try to find a way to continue to compete for an NBA title. So I'm not ruling out the um, the Oklahoma City Thunder either. So this is there is a lot going on in the league and what this all leads up to. The buildup of all of these things that I have said is... Should the Denver Nuggets get involved in this arms race? They're one of the very, very few teams in the Western Conference that you can say, no, they do not need to get into it. Just let these things build from within and actually mean it. And it wouldn't be the wrong thing to say. So 
let's build on that a little bit more. Nikola Jokic has already signed for another four years on a max contract. Jamal Murray is on his rookie deal and is extension eligible this year. Gary Harris has three more years on his extension. You still have Michael Porter Jr. waiting. In the, uh, waiting. You have Jared Vanderbilt waiting. You have Malik Beasley who's growing up right before our eyes. Monte Morris is getting better. They have all these young players and so many injuries that held them back last year. They could just sit to stand pat and let things happen. So, with that being said, let's live in an alternate reality to where let's just say the Nuggets wanted to get into this arms race. Let's just say they wanted to see if they can open up enough cap space to be able to woo or convince a free agent to come here. A high-level, star-level free agent who could put the Nuggets into championship contention level. If they wanted to do that, they would have to first... Decline Paul Millsap's option. They are already above the cap as it is with the current guaranteed salaries as they are. So if, let me just paint this picture, if they renounce all cap holds, which would be Trey Lyles, Tyler Lydon, and Isaiah Thomas, all three of which, from what I understand, are not expected to come back to this Denver Nuggets team. Who knows? Trey Lyles could be a wild card there, but Tyler Lydon's option was declined during the season, and Isaiah Thomas doesn't really have a role in Denver. So let's just say they renounce all three of those cap holds and decline Paul Millsap's $30 million team option. That means Denver would have uh, just over $16 million in cap space. $16 million, $418,073 in cap space. If then the Nuggets found a way to trade Mason Plumley without taking back any salary, and the reason I say Mason Plumley is because he's an expiring contract this year, Denver could open up $30 million in cap space, a little over. It'd be $30,459,133. That then means they could actually court um, not one of the elite, elite, elite free agents in this market, but that one step below. They would have the money to at least start playing around with the idea. Um, if they wanted to move from Barton, let's just say they wanted to trade Will Barton, they could open up $29 million in space. It'd be $29,194,823. Uh, again, they could start courting some free agents then. Uh, if they traded Gary Harris in the same situation, it'd be $34,607,323 in space. So, that's a lot of words, and that's a lot of numbers. I know that sounds quite confusing, as I have currently spelled it out, but let me kind of frame it in this way, because it might make it a little bit easier to understand. A max-level contract, they're, first of all, built by how many years you have played in the league. So if you played 0-6 to six years, a max contract is 25% of the cap, which would be $27.25 million in the first year and would build from there. If you played 7-9 to nine years of experience in the league, it's 30% of the cap, which would be $32.7 million in the first year. If you have 10 or more years of experience in the NBA, it's 35% of the cap, which would be $38.15 million in the first year. So, that means the Nuggets do not have a way to just decline Millsap, renounce their cap holds, and trade one player and create a max, max, max level contract for a player with 10 plus years of experience. That means if Al Horford wants a max, he Denver would not be able to sign him unless they found another trade to be able to open up more cap space. So... That makes things difficult. That means they can only really sign a player that is going to have 
you know, less than seven years of experience to a max level contract. Or they can try and find a way to convince a different player to take a little bit less money than that. So I have four players that I like that Denver could potentially target with, let's just say, right around $30 million of cap space without giving a max contract. Because a max contract is going to be extremely difficult to be able to create for the Denver Nuggets at that level. The four players that I think Denver could potentially have a conversation with and convince to come to Denver and would actually help right away are these players. Number one for me is Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton of the Bucks is the perfect prototypical player to add to this Denver Nuggets team. He is, you know, 6'8, 6'9, with a 7 plus foot wingspan. He can defend three or four positions depending on the opposing team. He shoots lights out from the field. He's a tough shot maker. He can make shots at the end of the shot clock, and he knows how to play within a team construct. He is the perfect two way, you know, wing player, whether you want to call him a power forward or small forward. He's just a forward at that point that can defend, that can hit shots, that can play off the bounce, that can play off the ball entirely and fits within this team construct. I love Chris Middleton, but the rumor is is that he's probably going to want a max. So you're going to have to create at least $30 million for a guy like that. So that would be extremely tough. And again, you would probably have to convince him to take less money to come to Denver. Um, The next name on this list would be Al Horford. Um, Al Horford is a guy who may take a little bit less than the max to actually play with the Nuggets and try to compete for a title, but there are so many opportunities to compete for a title that the Nuggets are going to have a tough time selling themselves over a team like, let's just say, the Clippers, who could potentially also add in the idea that Kawhi Leonard would be coming there with him. Um, With that being said, though, I think an Al Horford-Nikola Jokic front court would be beautiful. I think that would be absolutely brilliant. So if the Nuggets can find a way to decline Millsap and sign Al Horford to the same kind of contract they gave to him, a three-year, $90 million deal, and they that, that would be awesome. And I would love to see Al Horford in Denver in that setting because he would just be the perfect complimentary star for Gary Harris, for Jamal Murray, for Nikola Jokic, and for everybody else. He would make this entire team better. Um, the third player that I really like would be Boyan Bogdanovich of the, of the Indiana Pacers. Um, there is a lot of word out there that the Spurs are talking about that that's their guy. They want to throw him $20 million, something crazy. If the Nuggets wanted to, they, they could create $20 million or so in space, $25 million, and get a conversation with Boyan Bogdanovich. He would not help their defense necessarily. But man, that offense would be absolutely absurd with him in there. So Boyan Bogdanovich, a very, very fun player that I think would fit very well with the Nuggets offense and how they fit in a team construct. He wouldn't make them better defensively. I don't think he would make them worse defensively either. The last name is similar to a Boyan Bogdanovich, but he'll cost more. And in my opinion, I think Boyan is just a little bit, is just, you know, 10% less um, of a player for 20% cheaper, and that would be Tobias Harris. Uh, Tobias Harris is not a good defender. Tobias Harris had some very big struggles in Philly, but he's a 40% three-point shooter who can shoot off the dribble or off the catch. He's a big body who can create mismatches. Tobias Harris is a great dude from everything that I've heard. He would fit the locker room mentality incredibly well, as would honestly all of these guys. So those are my four. Chris Middleton, Tobias Harris, Al Horford, Boyan Bogdanovich. If the Nuggets have 20 to $25 million of cap space to play with, those are the four players I think they might be able to convince to stay around Denver and try and compete here. So we'll have to just wait and see. It would take a lot for the Nuggets to be able to create a lot of this money, but it could happen. It's not out of the question, so we'll just have to wait and see. 
Whew. That was a lot. That was a lot. I've been talking for 35 straight minutes now, but I'm going to do a couple quick things to finish this podcast. I'm going to give my far too early top eight Western Conference finals or Western Conference rankings. I'm going to give my Isaiah Thomas quick little recap. I just want to talk about the things that Isaiah Thomas brought to this team. Um, He really didn't do a whole lot on the court. Obviously, he struggled, but I want to talk about what he did bring. Um, And I have a little bit of a Michael Porter Jr. update from what I've been able to hear. So we'll talk about those things as well. Before I do that, though, one last time, you got to go check out Terrapin Care Station. They are the presenting sponsor of this Denver Nuggets daily podcast. Without them, there wouldn't be a podcast. Uh, they have the best cannabis goods in the Denver in the Denver metro area. CBD, THC, you're looking for pain, you're looking to just get high. If you're looking for concentrates, if you're looking for flour, if you're looking for edibles, they have it all. There are multiple locations. It's easy to get in and out the door. There is parking everywhere. They are informed bud tenders who can be able to direct you to where you need to go to get the best result for yourself. So definitely take some time to go check out Terrapin Care Station. They are as good as it gets. There's one between First and Irvington on Broadway, right across from one of my favorite bars. So go check it out. They're great people. They're great at their job and they have great prices and a great selection. There's really nowhere else you should go other than Terrapin Care Station. finish up this long podcast. Uh, first and foremost, I'm just going to list what I think in order are my top eight. Actually, I'm going to go backwards. My top eight teams as things stand on June 19th at 6.55 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. I'm being extremely specific because things are changing every 14 seconds in the NBA right now. So as teams are currently constructed, this is what my list is. So eighth seed, I would have the Clippers. Seventh seed, I would have the Thunder. Sixth seed, I would have the Blazers. Fifth seed, I would have the Rockets. Fourth seed, I would have the Warriors. Third seed, I would have the Nuggets. Second would be the Jazz. And number one would be the Lakers. I'm sorry. I am the biggest believer in the church of LeBron James. And when you give him a guy like Anthony Davis in a West that's as wide open as it suddenly is now, I just believe that they are going to find a way to be the best team in the West. This is not a... You know what? I, I, I want to rephrase this. This is not like what team I think will end up in what seed. Think of this as a top eight power rankings of the Western Conference. That's how I am looking at this. The Nuggets have the most continuity of any of these teams. It'd be very easy for them. Or not easy. That's wrong. They have the possibility of becoming the team that ends up with the first seed in the West just because they were able to stack wins earlier and quicker just because they have that continuity. That does not mean I think they're the best team in the West. So this list is my power ranking of the top eight Western Conference teams. So number eight, Clippers, number seven, Thunder, number eight, Blazers, number five, Rockets, number four, Warriors, number three, Nuggets, number two, Jazz, number one, Lakers. All right. I want to quickly hit on the Isaiah Thomas recap. I was going to do a whole podcast on him, but honestly, there just wasn't enough to do an entire podcast. He just isn't in that situation in which I had all of this content and information to talk about. So what I wanted to do is just take some time to talk about what Isaiah Thomas did add despite the fact that he barely played this year. And everything he did add, it did not come from him playing on the court. Simply stated, everything I have been able to pick up on, and I was around the team as much as I could be last year, which was pretty much every single game and almost every practice and shoot-around, was 
he was a fantastic presence around this team. Starting this season, before Isaiah Thomas was necessarily going to be a part of it, one of the biggest discussions that was being had was the fact that the Nuggets were an extremely quiet group. There was no alpha, there was no excitement, there was no, you know, trash talking and things like that in the locker room. They were good guys and they were and there was no drama, but there was nothing that was passionate either, it felt like. And that's not to say nothing. It just wasn't um it wasn't conveyed to where we could feel it as media or people around the team. So when we came into the season, I expected much more of the same. What I saw was quite different. Isaiah Thomas, he just brought a new air to this team. He brought a fact that he just brought an excitement, a passion. He was the one talking crap to everybody. He was the one starting ridiculous arguments, like he was the best shooter in the game and all kinds of stuff, just to get guys talking and arguing and communicating in some level. And on top of that, he was just a great friend to these guys. I can't count the amount of times that, whether it was two-way contract guys like Brandon Goodwin, whether it was ball boys, whether it was equipment managers, were being given shoes by Isaiah Thomas. Like I know for a fact that there was a ball boy who was wearing his Cavalier version of the Kobe ADs all year because Isaiah Thomas gave them to him because he just meant something to him. Brandon Goodman was given some draft day Kobe fours um, that he was wearing throughout the year as well. Like he, he just kept giving, not just like for performative sake, he was just giving shoes to guys. He was just trying to give some love to guys. But on top of that, he was giving gifts. Everybody got some. I think it was the Beats Pro. They got a boom box. They got all kinds of cool things like that. Um, not only that, he led by example. Isaiah Thomas was not in the rotation this year other than just a quick few minutes here and there. But yet, he was the first guy out to warm up before every game, it seemed like. He was out there. Cause I got there like two, three hours before the game, usually. Isaiah Thomas was out there as I was walking into the building. That that dude was always on the court whenever he could be. He was always giving advice. He was up and talking on the bench. He was giving, you know, he was in guys' ears during the game. He just brought everybody out of their shells and became a source of wisdom, I guess, that the Nuggets just didn't have. This was the second youngest roster in the NBA, if I remember correctly, when the season started. Isaiah Thomas was the sage wisdom that the Nuggets needed. As funny as that sounds when you say it, Isaiah Thomas was just incredible this year. I was blown away by what kind of a terrific teammate he was from start to finish. I cannot remember a part in this season in which he started drama or anything like that. Yes, he was pissed off he wasn't playing, and he would, you know, coyly tell the media about it, but it wasn't like he was trying to send a message. He was just frustrated, because this is a guy who averaged almost 28 points a game, and then came out and obviously couldn't even get more than, what was it, 12 games under his belt before losing his spot entirely to Monte Morris, who was a two-way contract player last year. That has to be a big shot at the pride for him, but regardless of all of those things working against him. Isaiah Thomas was a consummate professional. He was always there. He was talking to guys. He was trying to help everybody that came through him. I know there were issues in Los Angeles, it seemed like, but in Denver, man, those young guys gained something from being around Isaiah Thomas. That was a positive for them, in my opinion, and I think that's a very, very big positive that needs to be carried with Isaiah Thomas's name from this point forward. He was that good as a leader with the Denver Nuggets, and he deserves all the praise that he gets in that regard. <sighs> All right, uh, Michael Porter Jr. update. Michael Porter Jr., this is a guy who has had two back surgeries since before he turned 20, and then 
had a hip in, uh, issue because of the back as he tried to have his pro day and then developed drop foot from the sound of it uh, this season with the Nuggets. I, upon hearing all of those things, I have basically turned Michael Porter Jr. in my head into just a non-factor. If he is something, it'll be a complete surprise to me because I expect nothing. I mean, that is just so tough to ask somebody who is 6'10", when they were before they turned 20 years old and had two lower back surgeries, to actually fill up to all of these grand, you know, these grandiose expectations that have been laid on him. I just didn't expect it. I was just like, you know what? non-factor. We'll see what he is when he's here, because right now we have no way of knowing. I did get to see him play some three-on-three and some four-on-four. You can tell that the shooting stroke is effortless. You can tell how easy it is for him to get to the rim and just how long and tall he is and how how advanced his ball skills are for his age and for his size. But again, we just didn't know what we were going to get. With that being said, Adrian Wojnarowski, was on ESPN's The Jump, went out there and was talking about how ridiculously good he has looked from what he has heard from the Nuggets. That sparked my attention very quickly. So I reached out to a couple to a couple people in the Nuggets organization as well. One of them, to my text, sent back a text that just said, he looks, and then all capitals, good. Like these, okay, let me explain why this is surprising. The Denver Nuggets, for as long as I can remember, do not put unnecessary... Um, pressure upon themselves or their players. It was not a make-or-break season for anybody. The Nuggets were not saying that they have to make the playoffs last year, else is a bust. They have kept their expectation in t- uh, that they have put on themselves through the media extremely low. They're just not talking about it, which is a, a, an extremely smart way to for an organization to go about their business. They have very high expectations internally, but they don't vocalize that to the media so that when they don't meet them, they don't get eviscerated for them unnecessarily. But when it comes to my Michael Porter Jr., I'm feeling none of that. Like, I, I, I'm i not picking up on them trying to hold back the expectations of him. The entire team was talking about how excited they were to see him at Summer League during their interviews. Everybody I've talked to has been like, I cannot wait to watch this guy play basketball. And the fact that Woj and other people like him are getting reports and talking to people around the Nuggets and hearing the exact same thing, that tells me the Nuggets are not trying to it tells me the Nuggets are legitimately excited about what Michael Porter Jr. can bring next year. That's what it tells me. And from everything I keep hearing, he is improving and improving and improving over and over again. He is physically stronger. He spent a lot of time in the weight room. He has worked hard in rehab. He spent a lot of time in rehab with Isaiah Thomas, who was one of the hardest working individuals on the face of the earth. Um... I honestly, for so long this year, all year, I didn't believe that Michael Porter Jr. was going to be anything because I didn't want to allow myself to. I'm finally starting to buy into the fact that maybe Michael Porter Jr. is that missing piece. Maybe Michael Porter Jr. is the free agent acquisition of this season without the Nuggets changing anything. Who knows? But what I do know is that the Nuggets, who are usually a uh, you know a quieter team about the expectation that they vocalize to the media about themselves, have been very open about the fact that they are excited about what Michael Porter Jr. can bring and how far he has progressed and how he looks right now. So it's going to be fun. I cannot wait for Summer League. We're talking about, what, two weeks away from right now. We're going to be watching Michael Porter Jr. and Zion Williamson probably, t- you know, play each other in the first round. Also, a little quick bit of news. I don't think anyone's actually 
put this out there, but from what I have been told, Vlatko Chanchar will be with the Nuggets Summer League team this year. I don't know if that's actually been reported. I just wanted to put it out there because that is what I have been told. Um, we will see a Vlako Chanchar at Summer League, from what I understand. Again, travel logistics, FIBA play, a lot of things can change that, but the plan as of right now is that Vlako will be with the Nuggets in Vegas. So the Nuggets Summer League team is going to be incredibly fun. I cannot wait to see what's going on with that team. There's going to be tons of content coming out. I'll have a draft podcast coming out in probably like six hours for you guys to be able to listen to the podcast in the morning before the day of the draft to be able to kind of catch up with all of that. But we are finally done. If you made it all the way to here for a Michael Porter Jr. update, that is incredible. Thank you for listening to a 45-minute podcast. I deeply, deeply appreciate it. This has been the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes, on Player FM, on Spotify, on iHeartRadio, whatever podcast listening app that you use. The Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast is almost assuredly on it. Also, leave a comment. Leave a five-star review. Reach out to me on Twitter at TJMcBrideMBA and bother me about my podcast. Whatever it may be, go ahead and reach out. We are here. Thank you to the Regulators Production Group for putting together the beats for this show. Thank you to Terrap and Care Station for being the presenting sponsor. This has been the Denver Nugget Daily Podcast, powered by Mile High Sports, and I will talk to you later.